Hey, premium members. Thank you for being premium members, first and foremost. God bless you, angels. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the uh, premium membership, listening to all the archived episodes of the Harlan Highway and these these bonus uh, segments that I put up from time to time. Uh, As I mentioned in my podcast regarding the uh, International Anti-Poaching Foundation, a foundation that serves to protect all the uh, animals in Africa from from, uh, these horrible poachers and sending them over the brink into extinction, Uh, I have some more of the uh, conversation that was given when I attended a function for the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. The founder and CEO, Damien Mander, uh, at the end of his presentation, took a Q&A session from people in the crowd. And this this is about uh, 12, 13 minutes long, but I thought you guys who are interested might like to hear uh, how you can get involved how you can make a difference, and just hear some of the questions and concerns from people that were there, and hear uh, Daniel's answers, hear, or, or Damien's answers, hear some more of his stories, and just kind of be a little more in tune with this incredible cause, which I urge you all to uh, donate to. The, uh, the website is uh, www.iapf.org. So have a listen. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for being premium members. Here's Damien Mander. And then, look, you know, we also had a 12-year-old kid who came out and spent some time in Africa recently, saw that it was a problem, went home, and thought, shit, I'm going to write a book. And he wrote a book, a children's book, and he had it published. It's now in stores around Australia. He's selling it. He's putting the money back into conservation. I thought, that's initiative from a 12-year-old kid. So there's ways that we can get involved and... You know, I think it's sometimes you just got to go and see it up close before you can, or learn as much as possible before you can decide how you're going to be a, a positive part of the solution. Uh, funding is always a big one, something that I hate asking for and I'm terrible at. Um, yeah, my specialty is counterinsurgency warfare, not fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could combine the two. That's what we're here for. Sometimes the bank throws yeah. yeah, totally. Um, okay. Yeah, fun, I mean, fundraising is, is fantastic. We also have a program called the Green Army where we have people from around the world that come and spend time out there on the front lines with our rangers, uh, patrolling, helping around the camp, uh, teaching or imparting various skills with the rangers. That's a two-way street. People get to see Africa, not from the back of a Jeep, drinking gin and tonic, uh, but they get to see it on foot, up close, and helping the animals at the same time. The other, the, other, the other side of that street is rangers who sometimes think what they do is a thankless task because they're out there in such remote areas. They understand that people from around the world give a shit and they're willing to come over and spend time uh, patrolling yeah. with them on the front lines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, you can get on our website, just have a look at Green Army, and uh, yeah, if anyone wants to come out, it's, it's great. We've got fantastic indemnity forms. We've only lost about 20 people. Uh, in the last no, it's, it's, been, it's, been, uh, it's been really good. It's run by really good people. Correct. Uh, yeah, out there on the front lines who are extremely plugged into nature uh, and how things run out there. Yes? I want to know what you do when you actually find them. Next question. <laughs> what do we do when we find the poachers? Okay, so... In a lot of the countries we operate, there is a shoot-on-site policy for armed poachers. So if we see someone about to hurt an animal, we are allowed to uh, engage. Take them out. However, 
what we've done as an organisation, not you know, having to go and stand in public forum and justify our existence as not being some vigilante force operating out there in Africa. Uh, you know, we work in conjunction with the governments and the laws and the policies of the country where we operate. We, we've stepped back from a shoot-on-time policy. We've trained our rangers to a point where they are able to use the minimum, minimum amount of force required to get the job done. Correct escalation in the use of force. It's like any Western law enforcement model, except for the one here in America. Uh, it's, uh, it doesn't mean that, 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 that uh, rangers cannot use lethal for force in the first instance if they need to preserve life. But uh, what we want to do is we want to get them alive. We want to get the information out of them. We want to have correct evidence collection, crime scene preservation, preparation of the prosecution. And then you'll have like uh, an example we had in Zimbabwe, a landmark case at the time, 37 and a half year sentence uh, for, for rhino poachers before they got to the rhino. How long do they stay in jail? Uh, it depends. Uh, depends on the judge, depends on the sentence. African jails are not friendly places. Uh, mm. HIV, tuberculosis, um, hepatitis seems to roam around those corridors. Uh, so yeah, at the same time, a lot of the, the syndicates that we, we operate with uh, have some of the best lawyers that they employ to get these people out. It's frustrating for us sometimes when people go into jail on the Friday, they're back out on the Monday, uh, but you know, we just got to keep hitting it and hitting it. If the stats weren't showing us that the problem was dropping in the areas that we were working, even though some of the poachers come in and come back out, then we'd pack up and go home. But the fact is, it's not just the elephant and rhinos. These are the hardest animals to protect. So when we're protecting them, everything else in that ecosystem is being looked after. The birds, the bees, the flowers, the trees. There's millions of other little creatures that get to live out there and live out their lives in a happy way because the rangers are protecting them. And when the elephants and the rhinos go, the tourists stop coming. When the tourists stop coming, the funding stops coming in for the anti-poaching uh, units. The fences come down, all the other animals get poached, the trees get chopped down, you have desertification. And so that's what these rangers are, are helping, helping to do. It's not just elephant and rhino. These are just the hardest animals because of their, the, the value of their tusk or horn. Mm -hmm. Yes? I keep seeing that hand go, I'll get to it, sorry. No, no, it's all right, no, no. Yes, we do, uh, we certainly do. Uh, different NGOs in different countries where we operate. Um, yeah, it's, 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 there's too many other players over there doing various things that, that we need to be a part of uh, to try and ignore other, other initiatives. And as I said, we, we're very niche in what we do. Uh, we, we go to areas as an organisation where high target species are being uh, hit by organised crime that use paramilitary tactics. That's a very sort of niche capability. So we, we, we're not very good at the community stuff because that's, that's not we, what we aim to be good at. We're not very good at demand reduction because we don't, we, we don't, we're not a marketing team. Uh, so what we do is we partner with organisations that specialise as much in that as what we specialise in what we do. And that allows you know, people just to focus on being really good at what they do. Uh, you know, in the, in the beginning, I was trying to build this organisation that would appeal to everybody. And, uh, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then, so we were doing like 20 things in a mediocre way. And I thought I'd rather be good at three or four things uh, than try and be mediocre at, at 20 things. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been working out very well, actually. So I would love to hear your thoughts on the legalisation of farming rhino horns. I can give you my thoughts, even though it's above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> it's a cop-out. 
Look, I don't know. I think the argument for trade is as good as the argument against trade in Rhino Horn. Um, we don't know uh, if, uh, and we don't have a crystal ball to tell us that if we start traded in right, start started trading in Rhino Horn, if it's going to flood the market and and drop that exclusivity away from this this product that has been in the you know traditional uh, Vietnamese traditional Chinese market for thousands of years. For those of you that don't know, you can take the horn or cut the horn off a rhino without that animal dying. It's made up of keratin, same thing as a fingernail. Uh, and if you cut it just above the nerve, that, that horn will keep regrowing. Now, poachers want the whole thing. And that's why they kill the rhino, oh. so they can cut out the whole face. Oh. Um, now, there's been previous examples in Vietnam of uh, deer antler wine, soft-shell tortoise, bear bile, that used to be very exclusive in, a, in a, what is a growing economic superpower in Southeast Asia where people don't generally travel outside of the country a lot. They stay at home where they speak their own, own language. Uh, they spend a rising dis disposable income on consumer-related goods. And we call it a Ferrari syndrome, where nobody has it, everybody wants it. It's this nice, shiny thing. Uh, so we don't know if flooding the market is going to drop that exclusivity off, as it, as it did with those other products I mentioned, or if it's actually going to reinvigorate something that we can't meet the demand of. Uh, right now, I know that the most effective way to protect these animals is out there in the bush uh, on the front lines and not... I think what we've done is, is go into the hardest place on the planet for a rhino to exist uh, in Mozambique where they were declared extinct in 2013 and they now re-exist back in that mm. country. Uh, we've, we've gone in with a, a relatively cheap formula in the big uh, scheme of things. It was less than a million dollars a year and we've secured that area. Uh, to, a, to, a, to a fairly large extent without having to open up an international trade in rhino horn. So it's demonstrated that this thing can be gotten on top of if we get the, if we get the systems right on the ground. I don't think people are as scared of a tra an international trade in rhino horn as they are scared of corruption, which is what we know is going to be fed into that, that system uh, if it's not run correctly, when it, if and when it eventually does get off the ground. Does that answer the question? Cool. <laughs> We've got time for one or two more. Can I just ask? One more, one more. Last one. Make it good. So right at, right at the moment, I've heard that IAPF, um, any donations being made on IAPF.org are being matched. Can you tell us until when and why and how? Uh, yes, I can. <laughs> just so, so everyone knows. We get a bunch of donors that are matching <laughs> donations. Uh, well, a small group of, of donors that are matching donations up to a total value of $140,000. To about the 16th of this month, actually. Yeah. So, Excellent. Yeah. Everyone knows. <laughs> cool. uh, I just finished with a story, um, just to give you guys a bit of an idea of how, how how dangerous it is out there on the front line. So, a few years ago, we we're doing a show with 60 Minutes and uh, up filming in Nyasa, which is one of the most remote places on the continent. Uh, Nyasa National Reserve is 42,000 square kilometres. It's the size of of Denmark. Uh, it's a 12-hour drive from the nearest town to where we were. We're doing a story on using drones to protect elephants. And we're on top of one of these big inselbergs, like a rock formation, we're driving back down on sunset. Now, Mozambique has a, a, a snake there, a deadly snake called the Mozambique Spitting Cobra, or oh, the Sniper Cobra, as it's nicknamed, because it spits deadly venom oh, at your God. face from nine feet away. Whoa. So I'm driving now, now, off the top of one of these inselbergs. This is the money shot on sunset. So I'm in, a, in like a, a jeep, so it's got no windshield, it's got no doors, no roof, and it's just this open shell of a car, I'm driving down, sleeves are rolled up too much. 
<laughs> a little bit of a Chuck Norris sort of Magnum PI thing going on. <laughs> producer's loving it, sun's setting there. And then on camera, I get spat all in the face. <gasps> and I start squealing and carrying on. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned the word mother or mum. <laughs> but I was basically behaving in a way that you would not expect of a former special operations. <laughs> not an Australian one, anyway. And, uh, you know, the guys are tipping water in there and it's, it's, you know, it's getting worse and worse and worse and I'm contemplating not only life without uh, vision but, you know, perhaps I'm going to die out here because we're so far from, from any help. And, uh, you know, I'm squirming around and, uh, yeah, Derek's looking at me and he's like, you know, this, you should be going into shock or something by now. What's, what's, what's wrong, Damo? You know, this is, a, is this a miracle or is there something else here that we've missed? And then, I, you know, I can... Eventually, you know, through the grimacing pain, I can start looking around and trying to piece together what's happened. And, of course, nobody had found this snake yet. And we figured out what had happened is I was paying too much attention to my reflection in the rear vision mirror for the cameraman that was on the bonnet that I'd coming down over the, all these broken shale and rocks. I bumped the windshield wipers. And they spat oh, up. my God. They spat water in my eyes. And I thought it was a, it was a spitting cobra. <laughs> It was very embarrassing, actually, um, having to plead with the cameraman uh, to, to not put this in into the, the final edit of this 60-minute show that's going to go out to millions of people. But he did it. We did a handshake agreement somewhere in the 60 Minutes archives is, uh, is the footage of me uh, squealing like a, a little schoolgirl, and they still call me the windscreen viper. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. So there you go, gang. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you found that informative. And just keep in mind that this is a man that, that uh, you know, helping to keep species of animals alive and existing in our world today. He's putting his life on his line. The people that do this work are putting their life on the line. And it's very important work so that, that we may have these incredible creatures with us through perpetuity as we uh, continue to move along as a planet, as a human race, as a, as a race that shares the planet with so many other incredible, beautiful species. And we all need to coexist to, to get along and survive. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that bonus uh, Q&A session from Damien Mander. He is the founder and CEO of the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. As he said, you can go and join them, go on safari with them, go and work with them, or uh, think of a creative way like create a children's book or whatever to help raise money for the foundation. Or you can just go on the website, iapf.org, and make a donation. A cash donation helps their cause. You could you could send twenty dollars and be out of it. You could send a thousand dollars. You could see, you could click a button where they can you can send them money every single month, automatically. But uh, hopefully you'll find it in your heart to help this important cause. And uh, thank you for uh, being a premium member. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch you back at the main podcast. Until then, let's all protect the critters on the planet that we share it with. And uh, till then, chicken chow mein, baby.